What's up, fellow car enthusiasts? Welcome to an episode of Behind the Boost presented by MA Performance. I'm your host, Charlie Main, and today we plan to bring you some of the behind the scenes of the automotive world. Hey guys, in this episode, we sit down with Leo. Leo is one of our sales guys here at MAP. In this episode, I realized how truly astonishing it is at the level of knowledge that our sales guys actually possess. As we sat down, we did this as more of an ask me anything sort of interview with Leo, where you guys in the audience were able to ask any questions, build specific um, or just specific to your car. And he was able to give you an accurate answer as to what you should do, why, and even rattle off a couple part numbers. Uh, you guys definitely don't want to miss out on this one. Get your popcorn ready because this is a good one. Leo, how you been? Hanging out, living the dream. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've seen you since we uh, all started this work from home stuff. What's new? Not a whole lot. Been really seizing the uh, the opportunity to work on stuff around the house. Um, obviously, I've been guilty of doing nothing but really buying car parts, uh, prioritizing those over groceries and everything else. Uh, I feel like we're going to have a little bit of a reduced uh, race season due to all of this. So I've been taking that opportunity to really hammer out any, any projects that I have here uh, at home and on the car just to get it up to up to where I want it before it's uh, it's time to hit the racetrack. So, uh, yeah. I heard some uh, rumors maybe a few weeks ago at this point now about a transmission swap. Yeah, so I had uh, Kyle Larkin, one of our R&D uh, specialists at the shop, our, our tech at the shop, stop by and help me out. We swapped out a transmission here on the ground of my garage where I'm located now. It was a giant pain in the butt, but we got it done, and uh, that then the car was ready to uh, to go to wiring. So then after that, loaded it up, brought it over to uh, Buddy Adams' house, and uh, we're getting it all rewired with uh, Deutsch connectors and a nice fuse panel and a nice overhead switch panel. And like I said, just I'm taking this time to try and try and beautify things as much as I can, and 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 get things to where I don't really have to worry about them when it's time to go racing. Cause that's, that's really what I do in my spare time is I, I work on my car and I try and get it to the point where I want it to be. And then we take it to the track and we try and test it, try and beat PBs. And, um, I think a big component to that is making sure that the products that you're using and the parts that you're using are, um, the best they can be. You know what I mean? Even if it means you got to spend a little more, even if it means that it's going to take you more time, it'll save you in the long run. So that's that's been my outlook, and I've been using this time to to kind of kind of do that uh, as well as projects around the house. So yeah, and just so everybody here knows, uh, I think everybody here by now knows Dalen, uh, who's down in the bottom right for you guys, uh, and then I'm Charlie. I'm the host here, I guess, and. Uh, then for everybody who's jumping on now, this is Leo. Leo, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do at MAP? I know we were just talking mid-sentence about your car, but yeah, uh, it would help if these guys know who you are, what you do, and uh, then why don't we dive back into the car talk? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Leo Vishniak. I am the sales manager at MA Performance. Um, 
I've been at MA Performance collectively probably like three and a half, maybe four-ish years. My math could be wrong there, but um, started out as a sales guy, um, and I still am a sales guy uh, for the most part. I just have slightly modified duties, I guess, Um, and and yeah, and kind of just grew uh, within the company to uh, being in the position that I'm in now. Um, great, great, great place to work. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I do. Uh, if you guys ever call our main line, if, if it's not me, that's picking up, it's one of my guys, you know, there's a, there's a high probability that, uh, you might even get me. So, um, yeah, that's what I do. And, uh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, no, awesome. So, uh, and it's actually surprising because it's not very often, like, I mean, I can speak for most of the, all the sales guys that I've gotten to know a little closer. Um, you guys have just like an overwhelming amount of knowledge that you can rattle off like that. You know, even when it comes to pretty much any car related question, you've got an answer for it. Mm-hmm. Um, even just before we got started, you know, obviously these guys couldn't see, but you and Dalen were talking about some parts and it was just like instantly you had a recommendation uh, for him, depending on, you know, even the questions you asked him were based around what his needs would be. So, um, it's amazing. So anyways, guys, my point behind that is drop your questions in the comments. If there's a question you have, Leo and or Dailing are more than capable of answering them today. We are taking any questions about anything. Uh, maybe even whether or not you think a hot dog is considered a sandwich that's came up on here before. So, <laughs> Yeah, man, I think it's I think part of the the beauty of, of calling and talking to any of our sales reps is that, you know, most of them like don't get me wrong, I definitely don't know everything there is to know about everything and I don't think there's any sales rep in the company that knows everything about everything, but the beauty of having, you know, six guys, they're going to have, you know, six different areas of expertise. You know, not every single person you're going to talk to is going to have the same knowledge on X as they will on Y. So if you need an Evo guy, there's, you know, we've got multiple Evo guys, but if you need a guy that specializes in EcoBoost stuff, we have a guy that specializes in that. If you need a guy that specializes in Honda stuff, we all kind of specialize in that. So, um, yeah, we, we definitely are a, are a solid treasure trove of information. Um, I, as well as several of the other guys, I mean, I, whenever I'm not at work, I'm always working on my own stuff. I'm not necessarily a, a mechanic by any means, <laughs> Um, I think if I was to leave sales and go be a mechanic, I'd probably fail miserably, but I can tell you exactly how things work and how things are supposed to work and how to put together a car, whether it's a car that makes, you know, 300 wheel horsepower, or if it's a car that you want to make a thousand wheel horsepower with, no matter what it is, the the concepts are all fairly, fairly the same. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, it looks like we've already started getting a few questions pouring in, Leo. And, you know, if the people are asking, we got to give them the answers. So uh, we got Dad Bod season 610 in the chat. No, when will the stage three for the 19 STI be ready? And this may be a better question for you, Dalen. Yeah, we're working on I have a couple out in like kind of the beta tester world right now. Um, just because of kind of the uh, complexities of a tune like that, we want to just make sure it's perfect. Like we've had it on our shop car for about a year now, I'd say maybe a little bit less, uh, and then have it out with a couple beta testers. I would really like to get the green light to have it out by, I'd say, two months, ideally. 
Um, but you know, don't hold me to that because there's always changes and updates that might be needed to it. So hopefully soon. Absolutely. Then we got Derek Lee. Derek Lee, thanks for the question. What dual pump should be used to reach 700 plus ish on an 86 HTZ? So I'd probably use two of the new Walbro 525s and just make sure that they're hardwired and that they've got a proper electrical source um, that you'll be able to do that easily uh, with with ethanol. No problem at all. And uh, what 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 hotline should they give a call to on one of your lovely associates? It's going to be one eight 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 ma performancecom You can feel free to ask for me. You can ask for Kevin. You can ask for Tony. We've got guys available twelve hours a day to uh, to answer any need that you might have on your project. Um, you can also a lot of us have um, our Facebook set up to deal with like work stuff as well. So if you ever find me on facebook which you're more than welcome to do you can find me on facebook shoot me a message um I'll, I'll be sure to get back to you as soon as i can and get you any answers on anything that you need uh car related so because i'm terrible at any other advice <laughs> financial day yeah i can't help you with finances i definitely am, am really bad at math um i i can't necessarily help you with relationship advice either uh but i can help you with car advice and the relationship you have with your car absolutely if the financial advice you're looking for is how to get rid of all your money quickly he's got you i'm the guy yeah cars tend to be a money pit and uh i know you and i've had a few conversations leo about your car are you it looks like you're in the garage yeah yeah yes. this is a this is the, the quiet space that I have. Uh, my girlfriend's actually also working from home, so she's taking calls uh, in one of the in the living room, and I've got an office in the very back. And uh, yeah, I just I, I figured this would be a better place to be. The dog's not in here bothering me. So you got the car by you? I don't, unfortunately. The car is oh, over yeah. at uh, my buddy Adam's house, currently getting wired. So I have a, a, a empty garage just with a bunch of stuff all over. Well, why don't you? Uh, I know what kind of car you have, but why don't yeah. you tell these guys a little bit about what you what you're working with? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll tell these guys a little bit of a a little bit of what I'm working with and what I've worked with, just to kind of give you a little backstory. But, um, I guess I, I kind of like I kind of grew up around cars. My dad's been a mechanic his entire life. He's ran a small shop his entire life, um, and. I, I guess I grew up being around around cars, not really ever like my dad never had hot rods or anything by any means. Um, but I remember he he definitely had uh, several, you know, cool like GMC stepside trucks back when that was a thing in the 90s with crazy like ground effects and stuff like that. And he definitely had a couple cool Cadillacs. And so I kind of grew up around that. And when I turned 16, uh, my dad being a mechanic, we bought a fixer upper. Uh, my first car was a Subaru SVX, and I drove that. The only car designed for air to not go in the windows when the windows are rolled all the way down is a fantastic design. Uh, that was my first car. Shortly thereafter, I got a, I got a Mazda Speed 3 and uh, started you know, getting familiar with like bolt-on parts and cob off-the-shelf tunes and things like that. And then... Uh, I think I was about maybe 18 or 19 years old. I bought a Subaru STI. I built that with the help of some friends at the shop. 
that car made about 550 horsepower. It was a super fun car. Uh, while owning that, I bought an Evo. That was a ton of fun. Sold that pretty quickly. That is one of the purchases that I regret the most. Um, or actually, one of the purchases I regret selling the most. Um, oh. It was a great buy. I bought that thing for like 7500 bucks and put $1,000 worth of work into it. It only had like 120,000 miles on it, which is kind of a lot of miles. But it, it was a clean car, nevertheless. And uh, so then I sold that. And then I sold my Subaru. And then I realized... You know, if I want to go fast, I'm going to try and do it by any means necessary and do it for the least amount of money or what I thought would be the least amount of money. At this point, I could have really built anything I wanted to and it would have made relatively the same amount of horsepower. But um, I, I bought a Fox body Mustang from my buddy for pretty cheap. I yanked it out of his grandpa's uh, driveway um, in, in a small town here in Minnesota and... After that, I, you know, drove the car for maybe a week and a half, and I thought, yeah, this is cool and all, but, like, every Fox body out there that I see is pretty damn fast, and I want to make this thing pretty damn fast because they don't weigh anything at all. So I thought, what better thing to do if we're looking to, you know, start a budget build than to, to have a budget car that doesn't weigh a whole lot, put a big motor in it, and make a ton of power. So... I decided to do that, so we uh, we found a LS uh, six liter. Actually, I got it from Dan Carey, who is the director of marketing at MA Performance. It was sitting around for a while on one of the uh, pallet racking assemblies that we have at the shop. He bought it to put into his Impala. He never put it in his Impala, and it was uh, sitting up on the on the rack there for a while. And one day I just walked up to him and I go, hey, man, I have this Fox body and I'd love to buy this six liter for it because I think that would be awesome. I think I'd be able to put a massive turbo on it and make a ton of power. And so we came up with a number. I ended up doing that, uh, put that all together, put a massive turbo kit on it. And uh, here I am as the uh, the owner of a Fox body Mustang with a six liter uh, Chevy engine in it and a giant turbo. So. Yeah, that's kind of my my uh, my fun car now. It's not really much of a street car, so it's tough to call it a fun car. But for the for the you know several seconds that you're in it, it's certainly fun. Right. Uh, while we're on the topic, we got a bunch of other questions, but I thought this was pretty relevant here. Uh, Mr. Circle wants to know if you love putting a, a Chevy heart in your Fox body, like every good Ford owner does. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite, like, redneck sayings of the year is probably built Ford tough with Chevy stuff. So, like, I've, I've been saying that a lot ever since I did that. Um, you got that phrase. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess, like, Ford small block stuff, I'm not – really, the, the true – here's the reality is, at one point, before the whole LS talk, I did really want to put a 2JZ in it. Like, that was, my, that was my real goal, and I wanted to build a super-duper tough 2JZ – um, put a turbo 400 behind that and have like a super duper fast track car, somewhat street car. Um, but things in the line, I didn't have the funds because realistically, like I'm a, I'm an import guy at heart. Um, I might like have a car that has a Chevy engine in it. I might have a American made car, but I'm, I, I like the import stuff, uh, at heart. You know, that's really where my heart lies. It's where my passion is. So, yeah, if I could do it all over again, I'd probably put a 2J in it instead of a 6.0, but it is what it is. 
Yeah, you know, decisions, decisions. Yeah, lots uh, of them out there. Big world. Right. Let's. Uh, I'm going to fire through some of these questions here that we yep. got people asking here. Matthew Oswald's got a couple in the chat. Uh, E70, E85, does the 15% variance make any sort of difference with tuning as far as power output? Negative. Um, I think we've done some testing in-house, Dalen, that you can speak on as far of as far as past what point we're seeing power gains and past what point we're not, uh, I'll let you elaborate on that. I know you took place in a lot of the, the testing. Uh, you were the right hand man for that stuff. So I'll let you elaborate. Yeah. I mean, obviously it all comes down to like application, what's being used, the power level it's at. Like there's no right, like specific answer to that, but for the most part, uh, the difference between E50 fuel and E85 is, is fairly negligible, but uh, as with anything, the more ethanol you get in the system, the better it's going to cool. And it, you know that, that's kind of one of the benefits of having more ethanol. So running E85 or a more consistent fuel is going to cool better. Um, but actual power output, for the most part, no, you're not going to see a big difference to that at all. Good to put that one to rest. Uh, Taylor Kraus, Krause, not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. So much glorious facial hair in one chat. I miss you, Taylor. I hope we I miss you, Taylor. Everybody. I feel like that one was mostly. I hope great. you're out in the desert right now, like just wandering around, enjoying the freedom. Yeah. Uh, then we got another one from Matthew. Currently running Kelford 214B cams. Wow, that was a hard one to read. Uh, on my Evo 10, at what power level would you recommend upgrading to the? 214C cams. Yeah, so I mean, the 214B is a very similar camshaft to the GSCS2, part number 7010S2. The fact that I know that by heart is terrifying to me. Uh, anyhow, um, this is what I was talking about for the record, by the way. Yeah, so the uh, I guess they're, they're very comparable, and the GSCS2 is really a cam that, that's good to about you know, the 700-ish horsepower mark. In fact, you could probably push it even further than that, but you begin to kind of get into a territory where you're, you know, at 800, 900, 1,000 horsepower on a four-cylinder engine, you're looking to maximize the efficiency everywhere and anywhere that you can. Um, and, and doing that with a camshaft is, is, is a big part of it. So I would probably put a 214C in an Evo, at about the 800 horsepower mark. Like when you're looking at big T4 top mount turbo kits, you know, with, with 6870s or a big Sidewinder with a 6870 or anything like that, um, would really be when I'd look into a, a 214C. Mainly when you rev it out, when you have to rev it out to make power. Yep. Well, that was a wealth of knowledge. See, this is what I'm talking about though. See. The, the guys at MAP, so I'm relatively newer to the staff uh, than probably a lot of people that work there now. And it's still amazing to me how much you guys actually know and you don't give yourself credit enough. But to somebody who's newer to walking through those doors, it is consistently surprising. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I surprised myself. Like I said, like I, the fact that I know part numbers for camshafts off the top of my head is, is kind of weird. I know the part number of an AEM wideband by heart. Um, right. I know the part number for an AEM fuel pressure gauge by heart. Like that kind of thing is really weird to me, but I'm in that environment eight plus hours a day. It's, it's what I enjoy. It's what I love. And I think 
you know, the, the main reason that I like doing what I do is not just to, it's not just to, to, to be around cars because that's cool and all, but I think it's because I was that kid that, that didn't know anything about cars either. And I was that guy who had this, like, no joke. One of my biggest first purchases for car parts for my Subaru I went to MA Performance. Um, I drove all the way from St. Paul, like 35 minutes. I talked to a guy named James Elmore, who no longer works with us, but I talked to that guy and I spent like three grand uh, just off the cuff walking in and he gave me a ton of information to go off of. And he, you know, that's why I started shopping with MA Performance and that's why I wanted to become a part of the organization. And James had a huge, huge play in what I believe to be um you know the right way to go about selling somebody aftermarket performance parts and it was uh it was cool and ever since then you know the reason i do this is the is to help people who want to get into modifying their car want to get into wrenching on a car want to get into doing a project on the weekend into doing that kind of thing you know yeah no and i know i mean for me personally too it's like getting into different projects it's good to have you know people you know, that I can, I can just walk over and say what's up and ask questions yeah. to. I mean, the thing is, is though, if other customers are looking at parts, it's just as accessible to them. Yeah. You just don't look across the desk. It's, you right. know, you just put the phone and call. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, I think a lot of people think that, that we might just be there to like answer tracking inquiries and like, you know, support right. them with their returns and cancellations. And although part of our, you know, in-house division is, um, you know, accountable and tasked with delivering that kind of uh, information to our customers. The other half of the staff is there to simply guide you guys through your through your progress on your on your car bills. You know what I mean? And to give you insight on what it is exactly that you should do, what it is that you shouldn't do, what's a good idea, what's not a good idea, um, and, and things like that. I think, especially now, there's so much information out there on the internet that's not necessarily true that it's really tough to make an incorrect buying decision based on information you read on the internet. We deal with selling these parts every single day. We deal with customers who spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on these parts. And we have firsthand accounts on whether things are successful. If this combo and this combo work, if this part with this part works, if, 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 you know, at this power level, you should buy these camshafts. That kind of information is, is what we're here to deliver. So. Yeah, no, and it's in previous lives, I'm not sure if maybe you saw it or not, but we were talking about uh, some of like the vanity that goes on today in building a car and how a lot of people's decisions are influenced by what they think would, you know, do well on like social media. Yeah. And whether that even like actually like would benefit their, like they buy certain brand names for the clout that may not be yeah. beneficial like to what it is they're actually going to drive the car for. And it's, I'm sure you guys are the ones on the other side of that who get the calls and have yeah. to talk them out of it or help them at least guide them to something that makes more sense. So yes and no. At the end of the day, like I'm not at the end of the day, I'm here to sell you anything you want. Right. So like at, at any I'm not going to necessarily talk you out of anything, but I'm definitely going to advise you that, you know, the decision you're going to make is not going to be as good as the decision that that I have recommended for you to make. But if you want to buy, you know, X brand coilover instead of Y brand because you saw somebody on Instagram has that brand. Um, unless they're 
just not necessarily a, a, a great item, which we try and carry and sell only the best only good stuff. But, but you know, there, there are things, if you're telling me you want to road race your car, um, you know, I'm probably going to recommend one coilover over the other. And if you want to buy the other coilover because all of your friends have that coilover, there's not necessarily much I can do there. I mean, you're, you're going to do what you, what you want to do there. Um, I think the beauty of building a car as somebody who's, who's done so, um, I think the beauty of it is the, the thinking for yourself part of it. You know what I mean? And like, I've made some mistakes when building cars that have cost me a lot of money, but that's the way that, that, that I've, that I've learned on, on what things work best. You know, luckily these days you don't have to make those kind of mistakes because places like MA performance exists where you can pick up the phone and go, am I making the best buying decision right now? Is it important for me to pay attention to what's on Instagram? Who's putting what on what car? Or is it just important for me to really get the facts from somebody that knows them? You know? Yeah. No, I, I think it's I think it's all really important stuff to be able to, again, have access to and, and things like that. Um, let's see. I want to backtrack here. I don't want to skip over anything. We had some good questions. Uh, Vesna's Tire Bling. All right, I got a question. I've read stories, but for forced induction vehicles, is it best to have a three-inch turbo back or a two-and-a-half-inch turbo back as far as making the most power? Because it's best to have exhaust flow versus an NA vehicle that needs back pressure. Uh, there's actually more, I believe, in that. Oh, yeah. I read it. I, yeah, I, can, I can kind of take that one. Um, much like the E85 question, like, it just depends. Like, there's actually some fairly simple math equations that tell you uh, the volume of the engine, how much air is going to move through it, what size primaries you want, what size exhaust tubing you want. Like the big question of two and a half versus three inch, like on a turbo car, for the most part, it's uh, not going to be universal to each setup. Um, I would say for 95% of the cars out there, two and a half is going to be just fine. Um, it also depends on if it's going to be a uh, four cylinder, six cylinder, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but two and a half is going to be just fine upwards of six, seven hundred horsepower in most cars. Um, usually you want to see a larger downpipe with three inch just kind of became the cultural norm for the tuning industry. And people kind of don't want to hear the answer that three inch isn't needed. Um, in fact, sometimes it's more difficult to get ground clearance with a bigger pipe. For most four cylinders producing less than 600 horsepower, 700 horsepower, two and a half is going to be just fine. Yeah. It, it all, like Dalen mentioned, it all really boils down to the volumetric efficiency of what that engine is actually able to output in terms of exhaust gases, right? So, yeah. yeah a lot of variables in that question. I think I saw a question on there that said, what's the best way to get a hold of us? Um, yeah. There's a, a million different ways uh, like the phones are obviously right now kind of the busiest but the easiest way to talk to a person um email is another solid option uh leo do we have live chat up and running right now i believe that we should you can hop on our live chat and try and get a hold of us you can even just if, if you want if you have like an order that you have a question on or you need to get pointed in the right direction you can even shoot me a message leo space v-i-s-h-n-y-a-k on facebook 
feel free to send me whatever inquiries you might have. I'll delegate them throughout my team to make sure that you're taken care of. Um, the best way to get a hold of us is any way that exists, truth be told. Um, as mentioned, 12 hours a day uh, support. Um, if you call us, you're, you're going to get somebody on the other line. Um, if you email us, you're going to get somebody to respond. If you Facebook message our business page, we're going to respond. Um, you know, I think it, there are certainly times that are busier than others. Uh, no doubt about it. There might be some hold times during busy season that you run into, but at the end of the day, um, we have a, a ton of different mediums out there for customers to get in touch with us. And in one way or another, um, I, I'm certain that we'll be able to get you taken care of. So, um, if, if you have a question in particular, you can feel free to, like I said, send me a Facebook message. Yeah. sounds like love. It was maybe having some issues getting a hold of somebody. So love it. If you want to shoot Leo a message directly, he'll get, he'll get you taken care of. Yeah. Send me a Facebook message again. Uh, L E O space V I. S H N Y A K on Facebook. Shoot me a message. I'll go into my uh, filtered messages right after this and uh, make sure that I get you sorted. Perfect. And uh, uh, something that's come up in the past uh, live streams, a very, uh, very important uh, pressing question to ask Leo, how do we pronounce your last name? Vishniak. There we go. Now the world knows. Yeah. Vishniak. Got it. Yep. All right, now that I tried it, uh, let's go through this one here. We, I want to get some of these questions answered from the chat. If you guys got them, drop them in there now because I'm going to be going through these uh, right now. So Skyler wants to know, when will Matt make an intake for the 0607 STI? Dalen. Realistically, it's probably not something we're going to make parts for. It's an incredibly well-taken-care-of market. Um, there's so many good products out there for those cars and so many good brands that we already deal with that, uh, unless we're going to provide kind of the full experience of a intake downpipe tune, et cetera, et cetera, we're probably not going to make parts for it. Um, but like I said, it, it's one of the biggest reasons because of how well served that market is and how many people are already making quality products. You know, if there was a bunch of junk on the market and no one made something good, we'd be all over it. But unfortunately that's not the case. There's a, a lot of very, very well, well thought out products for that car. Like once, and I have a engine air intake on my Civic SI and your straight pipe race exhaust sounds awesome. But will you or do you have a cold air intake for 19 Civic SI? Yeah, absolutely. We have a cold air intake for a 19 Civic SI, and I'd be more than happy to get you invoiced on one. I'm pretty sure we even have an unboxing video and a review of that intake uh, in, in video form on our YouTube. Um, I'm almost certain that there's several customers who went out of their way to even make uh, before and after sound clips. Um, it does sound super good. If it's something you're interested in, again, feel free to shoot me a message on Facebook or give us a call. We'll get you taken care of for sure. Right on. Uh, Matthew had this next question. Currently have the AMS three and a half inch intake on my Evo 10, getting really high intake temps. Do you have an intake you would recommend that would move the intake away from the engine bay or provide some kind of shielding to protect against those high intake temps? Currently around 600 to 650 wheel on a map built sleeve 2.0. Hashtag MA performance for the win. Yeah, that's what I like to hear. So, I mean, hell yeah, brother. Really, at that point, you know, making that kind of power. I could certainly recommend you to, you know, one or two options that are out there that have a built-in airbox, but likely with the level of modification that's done to the car, those off-the-shelf options 
probably won't work. Um, I think with a lot of the current off-the-shelf options, all of the all of the intakes are really located. The the cone filter and the and the pipe assembly are located in the same position, so it's going to be really tough in in the same place. It's going to be really tough for you to have a huge difference in intake temperatures, but um, a good idea would probably be to see if you have anybody local to you that'd be willing to maybe fabricate something custom, something special for you with the integration of a, of a air box to see if that might, uh, might knock those intake temperatures down. And the, the other big thing is that on a turbo car, intake temperatures into the turbo are not always going to be a telltale factor. If you're running a good intercooler and the actual intake temps in the intake manifold are good, I wouldn't be as concerned about it. Obviously, like the colder you can get the air, the better. But yeah. if the intercooler is a good intercooler, it's doing a good job. I don't think it's something you'd really need to uh, spend a bunch of money on. So we've got through everybody's questions. You guys don't have any more? Keep them coming. Uh, Vesna, you had uh, an addition to your question. We were asking, she was talking about two and a half inch versus three inch exhaust. Uh but she did want to clarify that her question was specifically for her Mustang EcoBoost. Because I know we mentioned that it had a lot to do with the vehicle itself. I mean, with those, th three inches is definitely the most common. I mean, once again, depending on the power levels, if it's stock turbo, modified, et cetera, et cetera. Um, three inches is definitely the standard. Like, I would say almost everybody's going to do three inch because the market kind of demands it and people want it. Um, but if there was no such thing as like public opinion and what people uh, like preconceived notions, like could definitely get away with three and a half on those or two and a half on those. But yeah. I think that the most common you're going to see is going to be three inch. I mean, I have a, like even on my car, it's kind of comical, but I have a five inch discharge on my turbine housing. So I have a five inch exhaust coming out of my bumper on my car. And even for a eight cylinder, larger displacement engine, uh, you know, that's even overkill. Realistically, I could have gotten away with probably a three and a half inch pipe and made the same amount of power coming off the turbo. Yeah, the, the, the downpipe is gonna have the biggest effect in that. You want the largest downpipe you can possibly fit in most cases and then for anything under a thousand horsepower a two and a half and three inch are going to get the job done yep yeah so leo next on the docket here would be uh i think the hot dog a hamburger question yeah these are like the weird questions that we get that uh we had submitted actually originally uh that people wanted us to ask kyle from 1320 but yeah. I think it's some good questions just to ask anybody because it seems to be a popular debate. Yeah. Uh, so the question is, is a hot dog a sandwich? Is that what it is? Yeah. Well, and again, this is wondering if you've ever looked up the definition of a sandwich. Yeah. I think by definition, it's absolutely a sandwich. But like, I think that, I, I don't know, man. That's just, it just almost, it's, yeah, it's weird. It makes me uncomfortable almost because like now my perception of a hot dog will change forever. Now I'm going to say, give me a sandwich with. And visualize a hot dog being presented to you. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time. Defini like the definition is this, an item of food consisting of two pieces of bread with meat, cheese, or other filling between them eaten as a light meal. Yeah. Yeah. Hot dog only has one piece of bread. That was my argument two weeks ago. That'll be my argument today. 
that it's it is joined. The bread is joined together, and a sandwich is technically two pieces of bread. Yeah, that's a good point. What happens when you break the bun? Then you might and you have a sandwich, but like that's not the hot dog's fault, that's your fault. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're into modifying cars and hot dogs. Yep. Have you guys seen that uh, it's a hot dog bun with a peanut butter, jelly, and banana in the middle of it floating around Facebook? And if you have no. seen it, have you tried it yet? No, but I'm definitely going to try Do that. it. It's glorious. As a poor person who has eaten many weird foods <laughs> to try to pay for car parts, yeah. banana, peanut butter, jelly, hot dog bun is honestly top level. Like, whoever came up with that is internet high five. Like, good job <laughs> of coming up with that because it just... It's so convenient. I don't have to slice the banana. Like yeah. the work is already done for me. Uh, there's a lot of options for what kind of bread you can get your hot dog bun made out of these days. Right. Right. Highly recommend. Um, I think if that's you a video on YouTube. I just I want to see it. Hot dog foods honestly are going to become the new wave. I mean, like, I feel like as a society, anything that's like done for us ahead of time is like greatly appreciated. For example, like, the whole theory of like Amazon and the whole the, the whole reality that is Amazon, um, I'm convinced at some point there's going to be like a like a like a Amazon, not just an Amazon now where like somebody comes and like gives it to you in your hand, but it'll be like an Amazon before, like you, like before you even think about it, it'll already arrive at your door. Like it'll just be programmed. Like there will be chips. Like I don't know. Maybe that's a long shot, but I think I think uh, hot dog foods are, are going to be very vastly appreciated in the future here. Because like, if you think about it, convenience is key, man. It's that's the key of it, man. Like if I'm if I'm in the garage, I might just you know instead of going inside to make a sandwich, I might just have some hot dog buns and some lunch meat, and I don't have to even get a knife out to slice the loaf of bread. I, like it's just it's all done for you. You know, it's beautiful. Speaking of life-changing food items, do you guys own waffle makers? Uh, I own a breakfast sandwich maker, but you can make a waffle like bun for it out of the. It, it's pretty. It's, that's revolutionary. Uh, you're talking about one of those. Uh, I know what you're talking about, but no, I'm talking about like a real waffle maker. And if you do, just put stuff other than waffles in there. So like cinnamon rolls, put that yep. in there. Um, you got some stuffing, leftover stuffing, put that in the waffle maker and then put like mashed potatoes and meat on top. Life changing. Um, you could do uh, pizza waffles where it's just like you mix up all the ingredients of pizza and just waffle maker. Like it just it cooks in like two minutes. Very low effort uh, for all of our car people watching that need to switch to something other than ramen. I recommend finding a used waffle maker. Um, cookies, yeah, like just cookies. You can cook literally anything you want in a waffle maker. Hash browns. Dude, Chris, Dude, I'm sure you could. Highly recommend. Awesome. Like you could do them. Like there's a there's a steakhouse here in the city. It's called Pittsburgh Blue, um, and they have like this, like it's this thick of hash browns, and it's got like blue cheese and bacon bits in the middle, and like hot sauce. But you could definitely do that same thing just in the form of a waffle, and that would be just mind-numbingly amazing. Yep. Do that. Yeah. Like there's just the. Honestly, you could probably put ramen in the waffle maker once you cook it and make like a crispy ramen burger. Like, but we're not just here to give you car part advice. We're here for life advice, cooking Honestly. advice. Like, there's just nothing we can't do. A live cooking suggestions show. I've been doing that a lot too. I, you, you asked me what what have you been up to? If I'm being honest with you, I I think I've like cooked 
more in the last and don't get me wrong like i cooked a lot even before then like because i like to you know make cool stuff you know make stuff that's fun to look at and fun to eat right and um i've been doing that even more so now and i think i'm gonna try my hand at like making sushi at the house i did it once ages ago and it turned out horrendous and it was just so bad but i think the key to it is just buying the proper ingredients like it's 100 percent the key yeah the, not rice, just rice, rice. the, the rice vinegar it's yeah. all key so i think i'm gonna try that because like one thing i have been missing amidst all of this is is probably so i was missing like a really well cooked steak and then i realized that i'm just being silly and i can cook one on my grill so like i got that out of the way but um sushi man i'm a huge huge fan of sushi and i haven't been able to have delicious fresh sushi and i think it's time to really take the reins into my own hands and you know maybe payday friday get some get some ingredients ordered up and delivered you know i'll tell you this it's a lot of effort for the result but uh especially makes it more worth it yeah yeah uh, we got some real car questions here, though. We <laughs> these guys need us to answer questions about I beam versus H beam rods, and we're out here talking about sushi rice. <laughs> well, we got both. Uh, <laughs> we can address both at the same time. Uh, all right, why I beam versus H beam? Is there a reason to go one way or the other? Why wouldn't a person just always opt for I beam rods? The internet wants to know. You'll give them an answer. I think so. I'll speak on this and then I'll let Dalen talk about it because he recently um, solidified a pretty sweet new relationship between us and a uh, newer rod manufacturer. But realistically, y- you asked the question of why wouldn't a person just always opt for an I beam rod? Uh, a lot of times it's a actually I'd, I'd probably say most of the time it's a it's a budget thing more than anything. Uh, there is no reason why you would not go with an i-beam rod i mean the, basically the main difference between an i-beam rod and an h-beam rod is the design and the structural integrity behind the design of the rod in many many manufacturers cases the material that the i-beam rod is made out of and the h-beam rod is made out of is actually the same it is just the design of the actual rod itself that makes the structural integrity of it a lot stronger. So when you say, what's the difference? Well, it's a difference in design, sometimes a difference in materials, not always, but why don't people always buy I-beam rods? It's because on average, they're probably 250 to 350, sometimes more dollars than the alternative. So, you know, if you're building a budget car and you're looking to make, you know, 500-ish horsepower out of any given you know, four cylinder engine, you can typically get away with an H beam rod and not really have to worry about it. And on top of that, save, you know, 200 to $350. And if, again, you're looking to make it a budget deal, a budget build, and you're looking to save some dollars, then that's a, that's a great option. But, um, yeah, I mean, if it, if it was up to me, if I was swiping your guys's cards for you, I'd probably just buy an I beam and call it a day so that you, you have that part of the equation out of the way. But I'll let Dalen elaborate as well on that. Um, you guys keep giving me these answers that have like a million different things that could like be the uh, reason for. So, I mean, I-beam versus H-beam, there's, you're usually able to get a little bit lighter rod out of an I-beam. Um, the actual design of an I-beam is just going to be stronger. It's going to take more load. It's going to... Uh, 
Like if you're thinking of like compressive and like pulling apart loads, like an I-beam is just going to be stronger. Um, but yeah, kind of like Leo said, it's usually going to be more about the material it's made out of than the rod itself. I-beams are usually gonna have a slightly narrower um, like footprint. So for the most part, you're gonna have less block notching or clearancing, which just is a little bit nicer. Um, but a lot of manufacturers just save the materials, like the better, stronger materials for the I-beam and kind of just throw all of their uh, eggs into that basket, whereas the H-beam is usually a more budget-oriented rod. So usually a, a slightly cheaper material, uh, a quicker, easier design, like just less goes into, into it because it's more of a budget-minded setup. But it's possible to make just as much power with H-beams as it is with I-beams in some motors. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like Leo said, uh, Sands is a rod manufacturer we've been working with a lot recently. A great product. Uh, they have their sports series and the performance series, which is an I-beam and an H-beam. Um, and, and the main difference for that is material. Like, the H-beam rod is a budget-oriented piece. The It's a slightly, it's a quality material, but it's just not as nice as the material used in the I-beams. So, it's a... The long it's of the kind of a loaded question. You can go, you could go both in either motor, but I beams are just going to be a stronger setup because of the actual design. Yeah. All right. Here's another one here from Matthew Gustafson. This is a good one. He recently bought a set of FIC 1200 injectors for his Evo 10 from us about a month ago. Never opened them yet. He also has a GTX 3576R waiting to go in, and he thinks. I think I need that turbo is going to max out on my stock block Evo 10 on E85. Do you recommend I step up to the FIC 1650s? And if so, am I able to send back the unopened injectors and pay the difference? Uh, so, yeah, I'd love to answer that for you. Uh, I, I, a lot of these questions I find myself answering from the end of them and circling back. So I'll just I'll do that in this case. But so uh, <laughs> as far as the return portion of it, um, yes. So the way that works is you'll call us, contact us, send us an email, whatever is the easiest for you to, for you to do. Um, you tell us exactly what you just told us. You go, look, um, I think I might max these injectors out. They're not open. I want to return them and get a, you know, a larger injector. We can absolutely do that for you. Our return policy is typically about 30 days. However, if you're returning them to purchase a new product and the old product is unopened and it's a like product that you're exchanging it for, we can typically make that happen for you. We'll take the return in, refund your account for a short period of time, and then typically we'll have you replace the order and send you a larger injector uh, in this case, which would potentially be needed. Um, I can touch on that. That turbocharger is going to max out the capability of that stock engine. Um, no matter what injector is in there, like if you've got a non-closed deck Evo 10 uh, engine in there without sleeves, without a CSS or anything like that, uh, that turbocharger is going to potentially disintegrate that block. And that's just the reality of it. Um, what kind of injector you run and what size injector you run is going to be dependent on a couple different things. The most, one of the most important things when you're rating an injector is to know what kind of fuel you're going to be running, right? So if you say, hey, I want to run a 3576R with a FIC 1200, um, will I be able to, you know, really max out the capabilities of my factory, you know, engine? The answer is, yeah, on pump gas, you'll probably be able to do that. No big deal. But if you're looking to run ethanol, 
um, you're going to cut it pretty close with, with what the, the limit of that injector is as far as the uh, you know maxing out the duty cycle goes. Um, I think in either case, that injector, unless you're planning to run that, you know, run a run that turbo and then try and wick it up after you build the uh, the engine, um, you know, those injectors will be sufficient enough injectors to max out that 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 factory block. Um, if you're looking to have a set of injectors that um, you're going to make power with, not just on this turbo, but once you build your block on a different turbo with a big turbo kit. Um, potentially looking into a larger injector would be a great choice. However, I think it should be noted that um, the larger the injector, the more work typically I've noticed the tuner has to put into getting the idle right, and the more work goes into, um, you know, setting the car up to be streetable. Now, if it's just a if it's just a track car and you just put it in a trailer and drive it to the racetrack, then then that's that's fine. But if it's a daily driver, I think drivability has a big big key. Uh, play in, in exactly what size injector you go with because bigger isn't necessarily always better but dale maybe you got some other insights there but that's that's really my outlook on it oh uh, yeah it also depends on the brand of injector like what you're buying and like the controls for them because yeah like leo said for the larger injectors um some brands of larger injectors are a little bit harder to control like on idle and lower fuel amounts um, and some brands like uh, Injector Dynamics and a few others put a lot of effort into making sure that you can run those larger injectors on like a stock reflash ECU or like very low pulse width, very low amounts of fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, bigger is not always better. I mean, to answer specific to your question, 1200 with a 35, what was the 82 on 76. 85? 30, yeah, 35, 86, 76. Like, yeah, on ethanol at twelve hundred, you're not gonna ma- you're gonna max out the injector long before you max out anything else, unless you run incredibly high fuel pressure, which like that car won't need. No, I was just reading that comment that Cody James put up that uh, red is slice of the water jet, and no, I did not know that. That's super neat. I've seen like the uh, mechanical knives that do it, but you're telling you me. Should- you should find a YouTube video and link it in this chat because I really want to watch that because that sounds super cool. I love How it. would red not get soggy? Well, no, it gets soggy, but it dries out. Like, but, you don't get right so away. Here's, here's a fun fact. This is just, you know, crazy barbecues with Leo, right? Let's say I, I've had, you know, some, some, some hamburger buns out and there was a beverage that was spilled on them. I waited for them to dry, but when they dried, they were like a weird, like crunchy feel. Like, so how, like, how do you go about that? Is it like a different kind of water that they're slicing it with, or is it not water that they're slicing it with? Questions, I'm, man. I'm going to have to go down the, the YouTube rabbit hole later to really get any sort of answers here on it. Um, but, and then uh, Matthew Gustafson has some good questions here about how many beers is it safe to install a downpipe on an Evo 10? And then how many beers does it take to install a downpipe on a high-mileage Evo 10? Uh, See, you're missing one caveat, though. Is that high-mileage Evo 10 a Midwestern Evo 10 that's lived in the rust? Because, like, I think a normal Evo 10, casual four to five beers, rusty high-mileage Evo 10, like, you got a case or two before that thing's coming out. Yeah, and it all, I guess it all also depends on, like, I think the biggest thing that I've learned throughout, like, the years of, like, owning and modifying cars, like, when people go, how long does it take to do this, or what would a shop charge me to do this, the biggest thing you have to really consider, even, like, for 
example, if, if you're asking how long it'll take you to do it, the biggest thing to consider is if you have the one, the proper tools for the job. And two, if you have the proper infrastructure, meaning like if you have a lift or if you're doing it on the ground, I can tell you that if I was doing a downpipe in this garage that I'm sitting in now with no lift, a decent amount of tools, I'd probably need at least a case to do it. Um, now, <laughs> now that's because we're in Minnesota. The bolts are rusty. The, the you know, it's a higher mileage car. Uh, we don't drink a lot. You know, so I'm I'm climbing all around. I'm trying to get, you know, into weird, odd parts of the engine bay that are really awkward and uncomfortable to get into. So, yeah, it's probably going to take a little bit of time for sure. And, like, Leo, it's the same thing. Leo has two tools. He has a hammer and a crescent wrench. So, like, that's that's the other side of this is, like, if you don't have the right tools, you're going to need a lot more. Yeah, this entire box is just filled with hammers and crescent wrenches just different varieties different yeah. sizes different brands it's yeah it's just all about keeping it simple yeah. work with what you know uh cody will has a question here about uh the newly revised fuel hanger for the evo 10 so i'm a big fan really of anything radium engineering makes uh, i think they make a top-notch product i think they back their products extremely well I think everything that they make and everything that I've had the pleasure of putting my hands on has been very intuitive, very user-friendly, very explanatory. Um, for example, it's, it's the little details, but with Radium, like their hanger on the top is labeled with what the outlet is, you know, what the what the inlet is, uh, you know, what, what lead is going to be the positive lead, what lead is going to be the negative lead, or what the posts are labeled, I should say, for, for the for the power to the, the actual pumps. So, like, just little details like that make their products a pleasure to work with. Um, I, I'm a fan. I think Dalen's a fan as well. I think me and Dalen share similar thoughts about radium engineering. They make a great, high-quality product, so. No, and that new basket is actually really – it's just a unique product. Like, the option to run um, with the Evo 10s, like, it doesn't have to be a twin pump. It could be a single pump. But it's nice because if you're running that setup with, say, a uh, Walbro 450 or something like that, uh, it makes the hardwiring of the pump easier. Uh, you don't have to drill out a bunch of stuff. It's already got a return port built into it, so you're not drilling stuff back into the factory top hat and, like, drilling the wrong size hole or drilling at the wrong spot. Uh, you don't have to drill anything to run wiring through it. Like, it's just really, really convenient, even if it's not for a twin pump setup. Um just a lot of trick little features that make life easier for the install on these cars. Um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Like Leo said, Radium makes good stuff. We've been dealing with them for many, many, many years. Um, but yeah, I was really, really excited because like there's a, there's a couple of quality twin pump hangers for the Evo on the market, but they don't solve the needs of people that just want to run like a single pump uh, and have other problems to get over. So it kind of touches on a bunch of stuff that uh, some of the other ones don't touch on for the not big power guys. And uh, Skyler's wondering what fuel setup would you recommend for a stock downpipe, Kame, Catback, and a Grim Speed cold air intake to keep up with the higher airflow 06 FPI? So, um, really, I would probably start with a, you know, a, a DW300 pump or maybe a Walbro 255. And um, a set of 1,000 cc injectors. Now, what I think is really important, though, is to really think about how far you want to go with the car. Because a lot of the fuel system, you guys have to remember, a, a, a fuel system is regulated as far as the pressure goes. 
Um, so like putting a bigger pump in your tank with the expectation that you're going to try and, you know, make a ton of power down the road. There's no downside to that necessarily. Um, again, like we talked about the injectors, there's no, it's not always best to get the largest injector you can get dependent on what brand injector you go with. But um, it, I think you really have to think to yourself how far you want to go with the car. But a great start would be a nice, simple drop-in Detworks 65C or even 300C um, or a, you know, Walbro 255. Make sure that you have it hardwired. I can't stress enough how important it is to wire your pump in off a relay and not just run it off of your factory wiring, uh, which was rated for, you know, half the horsepower you're trying to get out of the car. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I mean with that, with that car specifically, like if all you have is a stock down pipe, stock cat or like cat back and, uh, intake, like realistically, if your stock fuel system is working properly, I would just leave it all as is like Leo said, if you're going to modify the car, design the fuel system you want around the future modifications. But with what you have right now, I would keep it bone stock. Mm -hmm. uh, we got one from Glenn. Glenn wants to know, 1.5T Civic currently have mapped down pipe. Are there any gains to be had with doing the front pipe as well, or is it just a personal preference? I could touch on that one. Hi, Glenn. Uh, Glenn is running a lot of our parts already. Um, the front pipe, you're not going to see huge gains. Uh, one of the major benefits if you're running our setup, which I know you're not running our exhaust yet because we don't have one for your car, and he's going to make a comment about that. I'm sorry, Glenn. Um, I'm working on it. He's got an EX, so our SI stuff doesn't fit. Um, the front pipe itself is not – you're not going to see huge power gains on, like, the lower power level. Um one of the main reasons we designed ours to work with our cap pack was to get rid of kind of some of the factory smaller transitions, um, which eliminates some bolts. It eliminates some weird kind of flange connections that are kind of inconvenient, um, more so than power. So it's a kind of, kind of a personal preference. I don't think you're going to see a huge power gain from it. Yet. And then Matthew just wanted to say that. Uh, you're 100% right about drivability issues with larger injectors. I'm running ID 2000cc injectors with dual wall barrel 450 fuel pumps. And I have idle issues if the RPMs go too low. Oh, we got another comment. Uh, if the RPMs go too low and it has issues when revving at low RPMs. So. You should call Leo and order up a set of the new ID 1700s. Uh, so like the new X series injectors from ID are super awesome and they put a lot of work into running them in lower fuel amounts. So you should, uh, when you're done with this, call Leo, tell him I sent you and then buy them and then bring to your favorite tuner that's good at his job. And you are going to see a significant improvement in how that car uh, operates at like lower fuel consumption. So that, I think, I think the biggest thing that is really important for um i think a really important thing to do when you build a car is to become very cordial and become almost friends with your tuner um because you're going to need them a lot so not only could there potentially be uh, you know could the injector just be too big and you might have to just go with a 1700 but there also could be some some adjustments that could be made within the um, the fuel map that can that can potentially fix that issue. 
So I think becoming friends with your tuner and, and having him on a first-name basis, being able to text him, shoot him a text, call him, whatever, send him a message and go, hey, man, I'm experiencing some issues. Could you take a look at this? Um, is super crucial because um, when you get a car tuned, it, it's nice to be able to have decent drivability out of it on top of it making just a boatload of, 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 of horsepower. So um, yeah. I'd, I'd recommend having that conversation. And if, uh, if all else fails, feel free to give me a call. I'd love to sell you a set of those new IDs. Uh, Dalen is correct. They have put a ton of work into uh, making them way nicer to uh, drive around town. I think the biggest thing is, is like the technology advancements in the past few years on high powered cars that get driven on the street, like the technology that's gone into that from the standalone engine management side, all the way down to the fuel injectors, all the way down to the tires that people need, like it's all trickle down. Like the more money people are spending on developing that, the more we're going to see parts that are going to benefit guys that maybe aren't making 2000 horsepower, but still have a you know eight nine hundred horsepower street car they want to drive around a bunch uh it's just a it's it's a really really awesome what we're seeing come to kind of our customers out of some of the high level racing side of stuff uh, and injector dynamics is one of those companies that like seeing a huge trickle down like uh their new pump controller is a single pump that's going to run like i think we're seeing 1300 horsepower on a single pump on ethanol and then the injectors, you're seeing these uh, 2,000 horsepower GTRs driving around on a single 1,700 cc injector set. Yeah. Uh, and that just benefits you guys. It gives you guys uh, cooler parts to play with and gives us options to kind of upgrade when people aren't having their needs met. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty sweet. I mean, just even from, from now and, and looking back, you know, three and a half, four years ago, even all the way back to like when I started, um, you know, modifying cars, the amount of advancements that are made um, is incredible. And the amount of parts available now to you guys as consumers that are just of the utmost top notch quality, um, you know, motorsport quality parts trickling down into, you know, our realm of, of business is, is awesome. It's incredible. Um, and it just it makes it a lot easier because, like I said, it, it's kind of like having the right tools for the job, but having nice parts and having a quality made part makes doing the work to have fun driving your car that much easier. Um, it's just it, it, it's, it's part of the game. I mean, there are parts out there that are more affordable and easy to get access to and not as expensive. And typically those are the parts that are going to be a little bit tougher to install. They might not come with instructions. They might, they might not be you know, thought out to the, to, to the best of, of the manufacturer's ability. But the beauty with where we're at now is there's so many great, great parts out there that are, are designed incredibly well. And it makes the entire process from the purchase all the way to the install to driving the vehicle um, a breeze in comparison to what it might have been you know, three, four years ago. So uh yeah definitely i don't want to skip this one here before we run out of time here but christine bang it sounds like she's having some issues with an rma is that something she could shoot you a message leo yeah shoot me a message i'll put you in touch with our customer service staff and i will make sure you are taken care of and i also just reached out to a couple of our team members about it too so there's going to be a couple people looking into it we'll figure it out uh but to touch on it yes it, it the, the kind of the state of everything right now is having a bit of an impact on us. Um, we do have our full staff. We have our full teams working, but we are getting a lot of inquiries. And with a lot of vendors either being closed down or people just 
uh, not working at full capacity. We, we do have a, a little bit of delay sometimes. So, I, you know, I do apologize about it, but Leo, the sales team, the customer service team, basically everybody that's customer facing right now is working their butts off. And it's, there, there's a lot of communication coming in right now. Like the, you know, we, we really appreciate the support that everyone's been giving us in kind of these not awesome times. Um, but, with that, we're just getting a lot of people hitting us up, both for sales, for customer support stuff. And uh, I know our guys are, are going as fast as they can, and I apologize if there's any sort of delay on, on our end with that. Uh, also, Glenn said he's going to drop his car off on Friday. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, I want to get through the rest of these questions here before we wrap it up, because these are some good ones. Uh, Miguel wants to know, he's Preparing to install these beautiful matte parts on the Subi intake and downpipe. What are your thoughts on running an HKS recirculating blowout valve with the MAP Stage 2 tune? Um, I can tell you now. I mean, my thoughts are as follows. Um, the reality is, is it, there is really no need to do so. The reason being is up to our Stage 2 power level, the factory bypass valve does plenty fine um, in bypassing the excess air out of the uh, out of the charge pipes so with that being said uh, when you go what is your thought well my thought is that yes it could potentially sound cooler but the factory valve does its job and on top of that our tunes are designed and developed around um, a specific subset of parts that means uh, stage two, for example, is our intake and our downpipe only with any cat back of your choice. Um, there could potentially be a variance in the way the vehicle operates with a different uh, bypass valve and or blow off valve. And we can't in good faith guarantee that there's going to be compatibility, um, you know, with a different blow off valve. Now, it being a recirculating blow off valve, that's going to, you know, substantially raise the... Uh, raise the compatibility bar. But realistically, when we design these tunes, they're designed again, as mentioned around a specific subset of parts. So I can't, you know, go out and say, you know, you can run a SSQV blow off valve with our stage two tune, because the reality is, is we, we haven't done that testing to be able to give you that answer. The, the, the true purpose of our tunes is to let you guys, the consumers have an easy solution for, you know, for after purchase kind of, you know, tuning and, and, and whatnot. So uh, it makes it so that you don't have to go get a protune for a, for necessarily a, a, an intake and a downpipe, right? So that that's really the, the purpose of them. So when you say, again, what are my thoughts? I, I think it's a, a sweet upgrade, but I can't necessarily tell you whether or not it would be compatible because we just haven't done that kind of testing. And, and Dalen, I'm sure, could probably agree. Yeah, and Leo's spot on. Like, with that one specifically, we haven't done it. I mean, most of the recirculating block valves are just fine. Um, we haven't seen any issues with it. Uh, there are definitely customers out there running them. Um, we, like I said, haven't really done it in-house, but um, from what we've dealt with, we haven't seen any issues. Uh, I totally understand the want to switch it to just the, the super sequential. The HKS one has got the noise. Like, I think me and Charlie have talked about this in the past. Like, it's just the most distinctive noise on, like, the face of the planet. And I totally yeah. wanted to talk that. But as long as long as you're sticking with a recirc one, uh, like if you do vent to atmosphere, no, that's not gonna work at all. But if you're sticking with a recirc one, you should be just fine. Yep. Not needed, but if you want it, you're gonna be okay. If you want it, send me a message or give us a call. 
Yep. Uh, Matthew wants to know, have another question about built engines. At what point is it necessary to sleeve the block on an Evo? Not everyone does that. It's running 600 plus, and it just seems that just as many people run into issues with sleeve blocks than non-sleeve setups. So, um, yeah, I can touch like on that. About the 4B11T. Yeah, I can touch on that. So, first thing, there's several different types of sleeves out there. There's a, a wet sleeve and there's a dry sleeve. And I won't necessarily get into that, but what I will get into is the type of sleeve that you choose is going to have a large impact on, um, from what we've seen, the success and longevity of that build. Um, on top of that, you know, when you go, what power level is our sleeves necessary in a 4B11? Um, we've seen the, 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 the real limit of that engine be around 500 horsepower and 500 foot-pounds of torque. It's not necessarily the horsepower that kills those engines because there's people on the internet, there's people that have called me that, that make you know 600 horsepower on a stock Evo 10 block with no sleeves, and they're running a massive, massive turbo that's just improperly sized, and they're making you know 450 foot-pounds of torque. So they're on a limited lifespan with that engine. So when you go, when is it necessary? I would really say anytime you're touching the threshold of, of around 500 foot-pounds of torque and you want to continue and continue making power beyond that point, it would certainly be beneficial to, um, to sleeve the block. And if you call us and get in touch with us, we have a couple different options. We can either do a CSS, which is a cylinder support system. It's essentially a block guard that goes in place of the water jacket. Super duper nice. Looks mint. Taryn from Cosmic Motorsports has one in his engine. I can gladly get you guys some pictures, send those over. Uh, or you could do one of our LA sleeve blocks, which is our stage two block currently. And that's a great option as well. I would probably recommend that for the super duper high horsepower uh, folks out there. But feel free to message me outside of this. I'm more than happy to answer any questions you might have. Um, it's a lot that goes into uh, into that conversation, but to to just circle back, um, 500 horsepower is probably where I would where I would think about putting some sleeves in there. Uh, this is another good one. Michael wants to know: Are you guys working on a bolt-on fuel system for the 10th Gen Civics, and when is your expected production date for the 10th Gen Turbo Kit? So the bolt-on fuel system stuff, there is. We have a port fill option out there. We have an adapter. Um, it does require you obviously to wire it in and plumb it and all that kind of stuff, which we've talked to customers. Uh, we have been working on like a full um, line kit, wiring kit, stuff like that. Uh, just seems like the interest isn't there yet. If I'm wrong, obviously let me know. Um, we are also working with a company right now on a modified high pressure fuel pump. It's going really well. Um, but there are still some kinks to kind of work out on the control side of it and continue to kind of push the car until we find the limits with it. Um, hopefully that will be a pretty solid option for customers to kind of keep up with that, uh, you know, kind of anything over 350 mark. Um, as far as the turbo kit goes, we're kind of on the final phase of that. I think me and Charlie here were just recently talking about the, the release side of that. Um, we're probably looking at about a month, month and a half on the release on that one. Yeah. Uh, looks like Matthew had one more question about the ID1750cc injectors, drivability improvements that you mentioned, Leo. 
Uh, he's running 2,000 CC injectors and wants to push 700 on E85 with the 1750 support that power level. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would, uh, Matthew, I would definitely find Leo on Facebook and shoot him a message. Uh, as you kind of go along the build, too, it sounds like he'll be able to help you out and answer all these questions because as you go along, more questions will arise as they tend to. Um, Vesna's tire bling will take this last one and then we got to wrap things up here. Is there uh, still any R&D projects going on with the 1517 EcoBoost or has Matt pretty much uh, done complete at all as far as performance goes? Um, I won't say there's nothing in the works, um, but the past couple of years, we definitely haven't had huge projects with that car. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've seen a lot of big gains out of the parts that we already have for it. Uh, if there's something specific that you're looking for or something that you can't find, reach out to us. Uh, we're we're kind of always open to different ideas of what to do with it. Uh, we've had some in-house projects with the vehicle over the last couple of years that have been worked on. Uh, but nothing that really found its way to market or was really needed. Um, but if you have something that you can't get or you're having a hard time get or just not fitting your needs, reach out to us. We're always open to ideas. Definitely. Uh, well, anyways, guys, that about does it for today. Uh, thank you so much, Leo, for coming some time out of the day to jump on here and help answer people's questions. Uh, for everybody who's watching right now, if you found this to be useful, let us know in the comments down below. Uh, let us know if we should bring Leo back uh, for a round two on the Facebook Live uh, to answer your guys' questions. If you guys want him back, let us know by 